this is the second week of our series that we're calling Explore God. This week we're talking about if there is a God, why is there so much pain and suffering in the world? And speaking of pain and suffering, I was down in Medellin, Colombia this week. I told you I was going to be speaking at what one time was the most dangerous prison in the world. They have Even now they have like 5,100 prisoners in a prison that was built for 1,200 people. And it was just amazing to be down there to speak to men who have become Christians while in prison, who've gone through a year-long discipleship program. I was able to speak to them, give them a certificate of accomplishment and achievement, and it was so cool. But I came back with a pinched nerve in my lower back. Don't ever get one of those. Don't ever get one of those. It's, it's not a good thing. And you know, you slide out of bed like a slug and trying to get around the house. And, but they gave me all kinds of pain pills and uh, muscle relaxers. I decided it wasn't wise to take those while I'm speaking to you, but I can tell you this, it would have been entertaining. It would have been entertaining, right? <laughs> but we are talking about pain and suffering, and as you think about pain and suffering, man, if you just think about the last 12 months, it's just been a tough year. I mean, think back just a few months to the, to the, to the hurricanes that we experienced here in the United States. There was Harvey, and remember how it flooded Houston? And, and you probably still have pictures in your mind of seeing that city underwater. They had never experienced anything like that. Then there was Irma, 134 fatalities. Then there was Marie, the worst natural disaster on record for Puerto Rico. There were numerous earthquakes that you barely hear anything about because there's so much other stuff going on. There were countless terrorist attacks. And of course, there was those senseless shootings in Las Vegas and at Stoneman Douglas High School down in Southern Florida. And these events once again have raised the question that eventually always comes back to the surface when this kind of stuff is going on, where is God in all of this chaos? Or what was God thinking? Or why didn't God get involved and stop it? Or here's the great question, did God allow it? Did he cause it? Did he allow it? Which doesn't really matter to me. I mean, it doesn't make me feel any better. Oh, God didn't cause it, he just allowed it. Well, isn't that nice, right? See, that doesn't really help in the big scheme of things. And I gotta tell you, this is an important issue because this question will come up in all of our lives at some point. And next time it may be more personal. And you may find yourself asking, where is God in this situation right now that's unfolding in my life? I mean, it, it was, is God punishing me? Or was God punishing somebody else and my child just happened to be caught in the crossfire? See, I mean, how do we come up with answers to make sense to these kinds of questions. By the way, we are in a series we're calling Explore God. Have you noticed that every time there is a tragedy, every time there's a calamity, every time there's a disaster in this world, there's just something inside of us, we wanna blame God, we, we wanna point a finger at God, why would God, how could, how could God? What's interesting is this, when bad things happen around us, people come to the conclusion there is no God. But you know what, when bad things happen around us, I've never heard one say, wow, there must be a devil. None of this bad stuff would be happening without a devil. I mean, we naturally go to that default setting. We blame God for every time, everything. But let me just say this. Every time one of these events occur, it should force us to ask the preeminent question. So you gotta ask the right question. Not, where is God? Or how could God? The right question isn't, is there a God? The question we should be asking is this. Who is God? In other words, who are we really dealing with here? Well, I mean, what if he, what is he or she or it, whatever God is, what is God really like? Because let's be honest, when I take what I learned in Sunday school about God, or I take what I shared with you last week about the attributes of God, that he's loving, he's kind, he's just, that he's good, and if I lay that over the events that take place in our world, often they don't match up. 
And so I'm kind of left with a choice. Either I can maintain my faith in this God that somebody told me existed, or I can come to the more disturbing but maybe realistic conclusion that perhaps the God that I believed in doesn't exist. And that may be true in your case. It may be very true that the God that you believe in doesn't exist. Because it may be very possible that you created your own God, of your image of what God is like. You have a picture of him, it fits into the frame. In your mind, there are certain things God can do and should do, and there are certain things God should not do and cannot do. And if those lines ever get blurred, all of a sudden you're shaking, you're thinking, there is no God. Well, here's the reality. God, as you've created him in your mind, may not exist. Let me tell you something. That doesn't mean that the God of the Bible doesn't exist. And I say that because as Christians, we know that from the beginning to the end of the Bible, God used calamity. God used nature. God used disasters to get us the very question I'm trying to get you to ask this weekend. Who is this God we're dealing with? I mean, think about it. You go all the way back to Genesis. There's the story of Noah. And what did God use? He used the flood. You fast forward a few chapters and you get to the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. What did God use? Fire and brimstone. You get into the book of Kings and you read about the nation of Israel and they have an evil king named Ahab and he comes up against a prophet Elijah and Ahab won't obey God and so God has to deal with them. And what does he do? Seven year drought. We all know the story of Moses and Pharaoh where God sent the 10 plagues one after another until finally Pharaoh was beat down and he says, Moses, take your people and your God and get out of here. Now I realize what kind of God I'm really dealing with. Even on the cross, you remember God caused it to become dark from noon to three o'clock in the afternoon and then there was a huge earthquake and graves opened up and all of a sudden we find the centurion, the soldier there who was overseeing the crucifixion. Remember what he said? Surely, wow, surely this is the son of God. My point is this, he realized who he was dealing with and I'm telling you, whether we like it or not, this is how the God of the Bible sometimes Operates, But see, that still doesn't tell us why. Why is there all this pain, evil, suffering in the world? Why, what, what's going on? So the answer to this question, if you have your Bible this weekend, is found in the very first book of the Bible. It's found in the book of Genesis. If you didn't bring a Bible, we'll put it up on the screen. You can download the Get Hope app. All the verses we're going to look at, the main points are there. You can actually take notes and email it to yourself. You'll have a permanent record. But Genesis, in this ancient story about creation, we find some very helpful insights that allow us to piece together why things are happening in our culture, in our world that we just do not understand. And in the midst of this story, God reminds us the kind of God that we're dealing with is a good God. So I wanna read a few verses out of Genesis chapter one. And, and, and then I, there's a word, we're going to get to it, and I'll point to you, okay? I'll point to you. And every time I point to you, you're going to say that word out loud with me, okay? It's going to be very interactive this weekend. Some of you are on your toes now. Here we go. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was, was over the surface of the deep. The Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was Okay, that was not good. So let's try that one more time. God saw that the light was? Okay, much better. Genesis chapter one, verse nine. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land. He gathered waters, the gathered waters he called seas. And God saw that it was? Don't lose steam. Genesis chapter one, verse 12. The land produced vegetation, 
Plants bearing seed according to their kinds. Trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was Genesis 1:21. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living thing with which the water teems that moves about in it according to their kind and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was Drop down to verse 24, and God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, the wild animals, each according to its kind, and it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds, and God saw that it was And then God creates his crown jewel of creation. Genesis 1 verse 26, God said, let us, by the way, if you take notes in your Bible, that's the first reference in the Bible to the Trinity. Let us, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. And then Genesis chapter one, verse 31, God saw all that he had made and it was very. My point is simply this. When God created the earth, he created it just the way he wanted it to be. Not only was it good, it was very good. And not only that, guess what? He created the earth just the way that we want it to be. Now here's the big question, what happened? I mean, how could everything go from being so good to being so bad? I mean, the world we live in, why is it that nature doesn't cooperate? Why is it that people don't behave the way they're supposed to behave? Why is there so much pain and suffering in the world? There's a couple of reasons. Let me give you the first one. The first one, pain and suffering are the result of original sin. And again, when we talk about original sin, we're talking about the fact that each one of us listening, regardless of what campus you're at this weekend, each one of us was born with a sin nature that can be traced all the way back to the book of Genesis. It can be traced all the way back to Adam and Eve. Now, let me just say that. I know that some of you think that the story of Adam and Eve is a myth because when you were in college, your freshman year, you had a college professor who told you that it was a myth. Let me tell you why I believe that the story of Adam and Eve really happened. I believe it happened, I think I'm on strong ground here, I believe it happened because Jesus believed it happened. I mean, if you read the Gospels, if you read the life and times of Jesus, Jesus talked about Adam and Eve as if they were real people. In Matthew chapter 19, he based an argument on Adam and Eve. In Luke chapter three, there's a genealogy that actually shows us that Jesus and Adam are related. So Jesus believed that Adam and Eve were real people, and again, since Jesus, he predicted his own death and resurrection, and actually pulled it off, I'm just gonna side with him. See, I'm pretty sure your college professor never did that, right? And so I believe that the story of Adam and Eve is true. And we just read in Genesis 1 that God created Adam and Eve in his image, which means they were good, they were holy, they were righteous, they were pure perfection. And then he put them into this beautiful garden of Eden, I mean this lush, beautiful garden, that was absolutely perfect. They were perfect, their environment was perfect. Everything was perfect. But there was one little warning, chapter two, verse 17, from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. This word die or death, whenever you read it in the Bible, literally it means separation. 
So God was saying this, you're gonna die. When you die spiritually, you're separated from God. When you die physically, the soul is separated from the body. So this is what God was saying. He says, if when you eat of that fruit, if you eat of that fruit, you are going to immediately be separated in your relationship with me. And you're gonna begin the process of dying physically. Think about this, if Adam and Eve had never sinned, they would have never died. So God said, one tree, one tree, bad. Stay away from it. Serious consequences. Don't go near the tree. Ignore the tree. Just leave the tree alone. But if you're familiar with the story, you know that Adam and Eve decided to ignore God's warning instead. And Eve was tempted by the serpent and she ate and she offered it to her husband, the idiot, and he ate, right? And then that moment, in that moment, everything changed and everything changed because at that moment, think about this, sin for the first time infiltrated the bloodstream of mankind. And as a result, every one of us are born sinners. In fact, I got a brand new little grandson. I was just holding him last night. It's hard to believe that little Judah Michael, I call him J. Mike. I think he's going to be a rapper. But anyway, Judah Michael, it's hard to believe that four-week-old baby was born with a sin nature. But he's just a little sinner. And if you don't believe that, have you, you noticed you didn't have to teach your kids how to sin? You didn't have to read Dr. Seuss's book on how to disobey mommy. You didn't have to do that, right? You didn't have to do any of that. My, see, my first grade teacher didn't stand up and say, hey, today we're going to learn how to lie, steal, and cheat, and make sure you're on time tomorrow because we're going to dis discuss greed and pride and envy, you know, and it will be on the exam. See, we don't do that in school. Our teachers don't have to go through that. Our parents don't have to teach us how to do that. Sin and disobedience, it comes natural. We are born that way. We inherited it from Adam and Eve. By the way, let me say this. Original sin also helps us understand how we are even aware of the fact of how things could be and should be and that they aren't the way they should be. I mean, this is how we actually know what's good. This is how we know what's bad. This is how we naturally know that a thousand innocent people killed, say, in a war in Syria is totally different than me killing a thousand fire ants in my backyard. They're not the same. They're totally different. It explains why our faith in God isn't shaken when we put out those little yellow bags and hundreds of Japanese beetles die. That doesn't bother our faith, but it explains why our faith in God is shaken when innocent children die. See, It explains why there is something in every one of us that says, that's just not right. There's something inside of every one of us that naturally knows that ought not to be. It goes all the way back to Adam and Eve eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that explains why we are aware of how things could be and we are aware of how they should be. And it drives us crazy that things are never that way. That's the knowledge of good and evil. It's the reason why every person knows instinctively that what happened at Stone, Stoneman Douglas High School when 17 kids were shot, that's a bad thing. Nobody goes on the news and argues that it was a good thing. And it's because we live with the knowledge of good and evil. And understand, when Adam and Eve sinned, God not only gave them the knowledge of good and evil, God also did what any good God would do. God judged sin. And we're very, very quick to be judgmental of God and, and to accuse him of overjudging, overreacting to Adam and Eve's sin, their disobedience. But I gotta tell you, if he would have done anything less than what he did, he would not have been a good God. 
Let me illustrate it this way. I'm going to show you a little video, and I'm just going to tell you right now, it's going to irritate you, and you're going to say, would you please hurry up and turn it off? Okay, watch this video. How's that for a setup? Isn't that irritating? <laughs> now here's my question. If you're in target and that unfolds in front of you, are you gonna sit there and observe that? Is this what you're gonna say as you watch that mom do absolutely nothing? Wow, now that's a good mom. <laughs> are you gonna do that? No, you're going, that kid's a demon. Do some of that kid. Discipline that kid. Now, some of you young parents, you put them in timeout. That's stupid. Let me tell you. This, <laughs> let me just tell you. Let me just tell you. I, let me just tell you. Okay? Let me just tell you. This is what the Bible says. This is what my dad practiced. Proverbs 23, 13. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you punish them with the rod, they will not die. That was my dad's life verse. You know what it said in the old King James? Beat them. They will not die. Right? Goes on to say, listen, punish them with the rod and save them from death. I'm, I'm saving you, son. I'm saving you. Now, now look, obviously I'm not talking about child abuse. And if you send me an email, I'm going to come to your house and just punch you right in the throat. That'll be, be abuse. But I'm telling you, there's some time where the application of a wooden spoon to the hind end can really change a kid's attitude. Let them sit in the corner. Dr. Spock, he was a nut job too. And let them think about it. That's just crazy, people. I'm just telling you. Send your kids to my house. I'll straighten them out. But anyway. See, my dad was old school. This is what my dad used to say to me. And I'm not kidding. Dad was at, my dad was at the other service. This is what he said. He said, I will spank you so hard, your rear end won't hold shut. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. But I wasn't going to try him. You know what I'm saying? You know what my vision was? I was going to walk to school. My butt cheeks were going to be doing this. You know, that scared me, right? Now, let me let's see. But if you're in Target and you watch your mom just observe this and do absolutely nothing, are you gonna give them Parent of the Year Award? Absolutely not. Let me tell you something, in the same way then, what would you think of a God whose prized creation, and he, gave, he only gave him one rule, one rule. Can you just do one? Your prized creation broke the one rule you gave them and God did nothing about it. In the same way, would you say, no, that's a good God, right? But then there's something about us. We expect God just to ignore bad behavior. But let me show you how it played out in the garden. Genesis chapter 3, God casts judgment on humanity. This is very important. If you're here this weekend, you're not a Christian at any of our campuses, you're wondering how we deal with this, this is huge. I want you to see how the fallout of sin and disobedience. Genesis 3, 16. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbirth very severe with painful labor, labor, you will give birth to children. It's part of the curse. See, I'm thinking this, if Adam and Eve hadn't sinned, childbirth would have been like the day at the spa. See, But they messed it up for everybody. And then I love this next phrase. Ladies, your desire will be for your husband. You know what men think when they read that? She wants me. <laughs> oh yeah, she can't live without me, right? Trust me, she can. For a long time, for a long, long time, right? 
This is what it means. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. This Hebrew word desire means to be independent from and to dominate. Literally, this is what it says in the Hebrew. Ladies, you're going to try to rule him. You're going to try to control him. You're going to try to dominate him. This is what God says. Try all you want. He's going to dominate you. And it doesn't say that God's happy about it. It's not the way God originally planned it. It's the result of sin. It's the judgment that came with sin. I mean, think about all of the tension in our culture these days between men and women, the abuse, the injustice. God says it ain't going to change. You can march all you want to. Right here in Genesis, it's part of the curse. Genesis chapter 3, verse 17. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and you ate from the fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from Cursed is the ground. And when Adam heard that, I'm like, whoa, 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 you're going to curse the ground? And the, and the word ground here literally means environment. And God's like, yeah, I'm going to curse the ground. I'm going to curse the earth. I'm going to curse the ground. I'm going to curse the animals. That explains cats, you know. <laughs> I'm going to curse the weather. You brought it on yourself. It's all cursed because of you. Verse 17, cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat from food from it all the days of your life. See, this explains why you never have to plant, water, or fertilize a weed. I mean, you drive yourself crazy because you know how your lawn should be and you know how it could be. And you work and work and work and everything dies except the weeds. It's because you're working with a cursed environment. That's why it takes so much time, so much effort, so much money. It's cursed. Verse 18, it will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from, from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. This is what God said to man. Because you disobeyed me, your environment is cursed. Up to now, your environment has cooperated with you. For from here on out, it is going to be an uphill battle. From here on out, it is going to be a struggle every day of your life. In fact, your environment is going to work against you. Your environment is going to be your enemy. You're going to work and work and work and struggle and struggle and struggle. And you're going to put in 50, 60, 70 hours a week. And you're going to save enough money to finally retire. And then you're going to die. And your body's going to return to being dust. And you're going to live every day with the foreboding frustration. What's the point? I mean, at the end of the day, God's going to destroy it all anyway. What's the point? And so God curses man and his environment, the ground, nature, weather, climate, cats. All the result of original sin. We've been living in the backwash ever since. That's just one reason. Reason number two, pain and suffering is the result of man's freedom to choose to be evil. And let me explain to you why, what I mean by that. According to the Bible, and we're gonna see this in a few weeks, God created mankind, I'll explain this the last week of the series, God created mankind to be in a relationship with him. In fact, when God created mankind, he created mankind in a relationship with him. Adam and Eve were in a unfiltered, uninhabited, uninhibited relationship with God. They didn't have to do anything to get into a relationship with God. They didn't have to sacrifice anything. They didn't have to pray the sinner's prayer. They didn't, they, they didn't have to be reconciled. They were in a relationship with God. It says God created them and he blessed them. They didn't do anything to deserve being blessed. He blessed them because they were born. They were created in a relationship with him. But think about this. Just like with us, we don't want to be in a relationship with someone who doesn't want to be in a relationship with us? I mean, who, do you want to be in a relationship with someone who's forced to be in a relationship with you? And that's no different with God. 
And so God knew that for there to be an authentic relationship between himself and mankind, God had to give mankind the freedom. You can choose to be in a relationship with me, or you can reject to be in a relationship with me. And for that to happen, God had to give mankind the gift that we may enjoy more than any other gift. God gave us the gift of a free will. And my guess is that when God made that decision, the angels in heaven were going, whoa, 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 slow down a little bit, God, let's think this through. Because if you give mankind the opportunity to reject you, if you give mankind a free will, God, you're just giving them carte blanche to create unimaginable evil. And guess what? That's exactly what happened. And we live with the consequences of that evil every day of our lives. But in spite of that, God knew, in spite of the fact that God knew that man would probably abuse his freedom, God gave it to us anyway. And a lot of people ask me this question, well, if he just knew it, why did he do it? Well, it's because that's how much God values authentic relationship with us. And as God measured the disastrous potential of that decision, he gave us the choice. He gave us the freedom to choose to accept him or to reject him. By the way, let me th think of it this way. We make the same decision as couples every time we decide to start a family. Whether you have a child or maybe you adopt a child, we make the same decision. I mean, when that child arrives, you have incredible love for that child. That child doesn't have to earn your love. They don't have to do anything for you. You love them from the minute you lay eyes on him. One of the coolest things the other week with my grandson, and I'd never gotten to do this, but we went to the hospital, and uh, I could tell we were getting close to having a baby, and I'm like, I grabbed my computer bag, and I said, all right, I'll be out in the hallway. Let me know how it goes. And Laura says, no, we're all staying. I'm like, uh-uh. Mm -mm. And Laura said, just sit over there on the couch, out of the way. But from where I was sitting, I got to watch my son's expression. And to see his face when he saw that baby for the first time, right? You can't explain that. Amen. You just love it. You love it. The, the minute that baby came, he held that baby. I took his, he, it's there. They don't have to do anything. That's the way God created us. But see, understand with that incredible love also comes the potential for unimaginable pain and turmoil. But nobody thinks about that negative potential when they want to start a family, when they want to have a child. No one says, whoa, 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 whoa. Before we start a family, let's think about it. They could die. That would be very sad. They could go prodigal on us. They could be a drug addict. They could join a gang. They could go to Carolina. I mean, they, 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 they could bring us unimaginable pain, right? We decided not to have kids. Now, that probably happens from time to time. But do you know what most of us decide? We decided it was worth the risk. It was worth the potential joy that could come with that relationship. You gotta understand, that was God's same dilemma. And God said, listen, I'm gonna give them freedom because that's how much I value authentic relationship. That's how much I desire to be in authentic relationship with them. I think it's worth the risk. And so God gave man the opportunity not to choose him because that's the only way we could be in an authentic relationship with God. So understand this. God could very easily stop all the evil in the world. All he has to do is say, okay, everybody line up and turn in your freedom card. To which we would respond, oh, wait a second, God, I think there's a misunderstanding here. I don't want you to take my freedom. I want you to take their freedom to start wars. 
I want you to take their freedom to sell drugs. I want you to take their freedom to rape, to murder. God, listen, God, I want you to take their freedom away to steal from me, but God, don't take my freedom away to steal from you the first and 15th of every month when I get paid. That was good. Too soon? Okay, too soon. But I, I should have got at least an amen out. Mac, aren't you here? I should have got at least an amen out of that, right? Like, God, don't take away their freedom to steal from me, God, but don't take away my freedom to steal from you. My point is simply this. Most of us aren't willing to, be, to give up our freedom of choice. I don't think any of us would, actually. But as much as we want to blame God for all the evil and suffering and pain in the world, let me tell you something. God didn't create evil and suffering and pain. But he did create the potential for evil and pain and suffering when he gave us what we prize the most, the freedom to choose. Do you know what the moral of the story is? God is good. The problem is mankind isn't. Mankind isn't. And if you think in those moments when an earthquake or a hurricane strikes your life personally, or if you're thinking in the midst of another school shooting, wow, God just went too far. He overreacted when Adam and Eve disobeyed. You know what the problem is? It's because, see, we don't understand the significance of sin and disobedience in the face of a holy God. We don't understand the significance of sin and disobedience in the face of a good God who loved humanity enough to create a perfect environment for us. And then he gave us the freedom to screw it up. So understand, God is a good God. And he's so good, he judged sin the way that sin needed to be judged. And we've suffered with the consequences ever since with the horrible knowledge of good and evil it just drives us crazy and it's because we know how it should be and we know how it could be we just we just can't get it to be that way and i know that this this sermon is isn't emotionally satisfying it's just true I was supposed to answer the question, why is there pain and suffering? This is it, it's just true. It really isn't even the full answer. And the reason it's not the full answer is because it's only half the story. There's no way you can cover this whole topic of what we're talking about in this series in one or two weeks. And if you miss half the series, you're gonna miss half the answers, right? The other part of the story that you're gonna have to hear is the solution. That really isn't gonna come to the fifth week. It's like a journey. It's kind of like a, you're going to the doctor and the doctor telling you, man, I got some really bad news. You got a life-threatening disease. But the good news is, I'm telling you the truth. And your next question for your doctor is going to be the same question we have in response to a message like this. So you found my problem. You've identified it. You've told me the truth. Here's my next question for the doctor. Can you and will you do something about the problem? See, that's what we want to know. And yet, that's what this series is all about. Can't be answered this week. But over the next few weeks, we're going to see God's remedy, his solution to the problem. And I look forward to sharing it with you. And if it's important enough, you'll be back. So let's bow. I will give you a preview. The answer is Jesus. It starts with Jesus. It starts with you believing that Jesus died on a cross to pay for your sins because you could never work your way back into a relationship with God. It's impossible. He rose from the dead three days later to verify that he was the son of God who can take away the sins of the world. That's the first step, acknowledging that 
you're going to place your trust in what Jesus did for you instead of depending what you can do for yourself. And I'll give you a little bit more of a hint. We'll talk about this last week. One day, God's going to turn to his son, Jesus, and he's going to say, go get him. And those of us who are Christians are going to be with Jesus. And you know what he's going to do? He's going to destroy this earth. He once again is going to bring fire. And he's going to destroy it. And you know what then he's going to do? He's going to create it back to exactly the way it was in the Garden of Eden. Perfect. No death. No sin. No pain. No sorrow. And it says he'll wipe every tear from our eyes. And we will live forever and ever with him. Under one condition. You accepted his son as your savior. That's not a decision you want to wait to week five. You don't need to wait to week five. Trust me, God's got the solution all planned out. One of the biggest challenges we have, especially as Americans, and getting back from another third world country this week, I was reminded of it again. See, our problem is we want heaven now. We want a pain-free, winkle-free life now. The Bible never teaches that. The Bible says this life's going to be full of pain and suffering and evil because you're bad people. You're bad people. But God says, one day I'm going to fix it. So I would just say if you're here and you've never gotten to that place where you realize there is a God. He loves me. He gave his son so I could be in a relationship with him. I accept that gift. I would make that decision. Your sins will be forgiven. He'll give you meaning and purpose in this life. And he'll give you eternal life with him. Best offer you'll ever hear in your life. Hey, but you know what? You have the freedom to choose. Father, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. If we could ever get our heads wrapped around the fact that from the fact, the day, the moment that Adam and Eve sinned, you begin a constant pursuit, relentless pursuit to restore us back into a relationship with you. Even when we didn't want it. That's all you wanted. Not willing that any perish, but I'll come to repentance. I pray for the one who's holding out. Maybe today will be the day. And it tells us in Luke that when that happens, angels in heaven throw a party. I pray there's a party weekend going on in heaven, Father. In your name we pray. Amen.